industrial accidents, ancient Solving poisoners, crime, poison prevention. Spills. This is Toxic History. Here is Dr. Loren Murphy, who's going to speak with you about King Mithridates and biochemical warfare in the Roman period. As Adam said, I'm Loren, and I am incredibly excited to present the final part uh, segment of our first session of Toxic History. So I welcome you to join me into the ancient Roman period. So the main point of this story is going to be to tell you about this incredible war event where poison honey was used to defeat a Roman army. Now, when I, unlike Adam, our, our brilliant moderator, I do not have a master's in history, nor did I study it, but I will tell you, after researching this poisoning event, I wish I had studied a bit more. It's pretty, pretty crazy what was going on at that period. And I wanna take you on the same journey that I went on to discover what was happening in the Roman period. And I gotta tell you, this king that, was, uh, that this poisoning was attributed to was obsessed with poisons. And there are so many interesting anecdotes about how poisoning was involved during this time. And I think, you know, what talks lecture would be complete without a few good tangents. So I'm gonna take you there with me. Um, we'll end up at, back at that poisoning event and I'll describe what happened and then I'll explain a little bit about brainotoxin. So with that, I invite you to use whatever sound effect you would like to travel with me into the past of the Roman period. I will be utilizing that from Wayne's world. Now, if you'll join me. We are in 135 BC. It is the Roman period and they are conquering lands and expanding their empire. They want to control the entire Mediterranean. And as they are doing so, they are enslaving the people, leading them with corrupt rulers, oppressing them and violating the women. And the people of these conquered lands are angry. Though Rome is expanding and modernizing, there are many enemies that they created along the way. And one of these enemies was the king of Pontus. You may ask yourself, where is Pontus? Well, it does not exist currently. It is an ancient kingdom that borders the coast of the Black Sea. And if you don't have a presentation in front of you, if you put uh, clock numbers on the outside of the Black Sea, it's about from six o'clock to four o'clock on the Southern aspect. This Kingdom of Pontus was part of ancient Anatolia, which is where modern day Turkey was. And the Romans at this time had not yet conquered this region, but they really wanted to completely control the Mediterranean. So this was definitely something that they've been eyeing, right? So then a king was born in 135 BC, and it coincided with the traveling of Halley's Comet across the, uh, the sky. So uh, divine uh, ruling much, people got super excited about that. King is born the same time this comet appears. So they're like, oh, this guy's gonna lead us away and liberate us from the Romans. We're gonna get our land back. And uh, King Mithridates, there are several uh, Mithridates, because you know in that time, 
if uh, if you had children, you named them after your first name. So he had a father named King Mithridates. And the one that we're talking about, Mithridates the sixth, Eupater, sometimes Dionysus is thrown in there. He envisioned himself like Alexander the Great. And he not only wanted to make sure that the Romans didn't continue invading Anatolia, but he wanted to conquer land spreading east like Alexander the Great and controlling Anatolia and, and creating a Black Sea empire circling the Black Sea. Okay, so he was sick and tired of the Romans. So were many of the individual cultural groups in this area that was quite diverse. And he was able to unify these groups and start what is known as the Mithridatic Wars. This is a series of three wars that covered three decades and was just an horrible thorn in the side of the ancient Romans. And the event that started this wars was this incredibly violent and atrocious act. And what this king was able to do was coordinate a simultaneous attack over more than a dozen cities in Anatolia, where modern day Turkey is, where they systematically executed every identifiable Roman citizen, whether soldier, civilian, man, woman, or child, innocent or not. And at that period, this was 88 BC, King Mithridates controlled Anatolia, sparking the onset of the Mithridatic Wars. And of course, Rome had to reply and thus ensued this three decades of wars. So, you know, as any time these extensive wars in history, and now that I remember from school, you know, somebody conquered the land, then they bought it back, then they squabbled about it, then they got a treaty, then maybe somebody violated the treaty, but we're not really sure. Maybe I think you violated the treaty, then a war starts again, then we start exchanging lands again. Overall, the Romans did have the superior force and they were taking the land back. And by the time we get to the third Mithridatic War, the Romans had captured Anatolia, so modern day Turkey back again, and they had even conquered Mithridates' original kingdom of Pontus, and boy, that was the ultimate insult. So nearing the end of this period, Mithridates was able to get in a majestic battle, conquered the Romans, kicked them out of Pontus, and he was able to recover his kingdom. And the first thing he does is immediately flee with his remaining generals and soldiers so as not to be assassinated or captured because he knows the Romans are coming for him. And at this point, the general leading the Roman army against Mithridates was King, uh, I'm sorry, was General Pompey with a legion of just over a thousand soldiers, and they followed him into the mountains uh, eastward. This is the setting of the battle where poison honey was used to conquer these final Romans who were chasing Mithridates. But before we get to the really, really exciting toxic part, I got to tell you about this king. He was such a fascinating figure in history, and that's coming from me, and I did not study history, okay? So first off, this man spoke not only fluently, but natively, 22 to 25 completely different languages. This is noted by a number of um, his, ancient historians at the time, and he was able to unify all these different cultures and lands around Turkey, ancient Turkey, and around the Black Sea. Not only this, but he was incredibly interested in science and not just any science, toxicology. So he might be what you wanna call one of our ancient toxicologic heroes, even though, you know, debated where you are in history, all the atrocious acts, we'll just push that to the side. But he was fascinated by poisons and perhaps this started because his father, King Mithridates, the senior, uh, he was murdered, assassinated by arsenic at a banquet. 
So he learned at a young age that a king always has to fear assassination and poisoning. And just as Courtney had just alluded to, there was Hecate, there's all these figures and stories throughout Greek times, throughout Roman times of the use of poisons, and it was quite common. Arsenic was such a common means of assassinating kings and other rulers that it was called the powder of succession. Even within families, it was used to take over from each other. Poisoning was all around, and it was used for criminals and public executions. And King Mithridates wanted to know every poison and protect himself. He experimented not only on himself, but especially on his criminals and captured slaves. He uh, experimented with poisons on his friends and associates, as well as his wives and family and himself. And he recorded the effects. And these were both antidotes and poisons. And how do we know all this for sure? Well, because our good old man here, Pliny the Elder, wrote about it. Now, Courtney mentioned Pliny the Elder. This was a man, any, any Pliny fans out there, I got to say, if you're into history and talks, Pliny the Elder is the guy. All those fans say, hi. You can't because it's a podcast and I'm the only one talking. So Pliny, for anyone who's not familiar, and uh, his full name is Gaius Plinius Secundus, and he was born about 23 to 24 AD, so the, the original 20s, mm -hmm. and he lived until uh, the late 70s, original 70s, and he is credited just as Courtney was mentioning his writing Natural History, which was one of the first collections that is attributed to being one of the first encyclopedias ever written. And King Mithridates, now he died about, oh, 60 years before Pliny, but Pliny knew of all his experimentation and the things he had written down. This had passed down. This guy really did a lot of science. So this is what Pliny wrote. He wrote, we know from direct evidence and by report that Mithridates was a more accomplished researcher into biology than any man before him. In order to become immune to poison by making his body accustomed to it, he alone devised the plan to drink poison every day after first taking remedies. And here's another little historical and slash talks tangent for you guys. Kings at this time were fascinated with the use of a theriac. Now, as we mentioned, kings were being poisoned and they had to protect themselves. So what did they do? But they devised a concoction of a protective pill that would keep them immune to all poisons, a universal antidote. And this pill was a combination of both poisons and their antidotes. Now, as Pliny mentioned, King Mithridates was very well known to be poisoning himself all the time. And he gained this reputation that, you know what, whatever theriac he's using, get me some of that. Because this guy lived until his 60s, okay? So they're like, whatever he's doing, he's winning. We need his theriac. And it became so famous that this guy was protected against poisons that it lasted hundreds of years of a specific name of the Mithridatum theriac. Now, just for interest, the kinds of things, usually this was a mix of animal parts and plants and minerals, and uh, it usually contained anywhere from 24 to 50 ingredients. And I'm going to list just a few of them as, as well as my favorite. So, you know, there's exotic spices from different lands. This would include things like cinnamon and myrrh and honey, uh, cardamom, anise, and opium. This also contains, uh, contained things like castor musk from beaver testicles, curdled milk, charcoal, and my personal favorite, pontic ducks. Now, what are pontic ducks, you ask? Well, remember the region of Pontus? Well, 
this Black Sea region was rife with toxic plants, poison hemlock, monkshood, aconite, helleborus, and rhododendrons. So these ducks were known to be eating poison hemlock. And it was also known that anyone who ate these Pontic duck meats would, meats would die or have severe toxicity. Now, what does that remind us of? But another tox tangent for all you fellows out there who may or may not be studying for the boards. So eating meat of an animal that ingested poison hemlock that causes toxicity, that is going to be our coternism, right? From the common quail, coternix, coternix, um, ingesting their meat causes rhabdomyolysis, and it is thought to be because these common quail ingest poison hemlock in significant quantities. There's a little bit of debate in the literature about um, also perhaps being helleborus, but it does not cause the classic nicotinic toxicity that we associate with poison hemlock. All right. So, you know, speaking of poison hemlock, we got to talk just very briefly about Socrates, right? So we know that Socrates was publicly executed by, uh, by being ordered to drink poison hemlock. And when I first read about this, I thought, wow, what a romantic, you know, well, it's terrible, but a romantic way to execute this, you know, public enemy of the people at the time. And it's such a prominent figure. It must've been such a unique way to murder somebody. But in fact, this happened all the time. Nope, uh, that was a normal way to execute people in ancient Rome. It was like, nope, poison hemlock for you. Sorry, man. So not special at all. All right, so let's get back to the wars. Now we know that Mithridates was, you know, making this magic theriac. Perhaps it um, protected him. He also had some pretty other crazy stuff. Uh, he was ingesting arsenic daily in his food in an attempt to gain resistance to it. Uh, he lived 60 years, so it didn't kill him. Uh, whether that made him stronger or not is up for debate. Uh, he also was known to shock people at banquets by ingesting poisons. He was known to drink strychnine in front of people. And uh, of particular note, he shocked people at his banquet by drinking snake venom in front of them. And he was one of the first people who learned that ingesting snake venom does not result in death. And as we know, snake venom is composed of enzymes and enzymes are proteins. And you know what? Our stomach is really good at digesting. Proteins. So he figured that out, but his public did not, and that made him very exciting. So let's move on. Now we've we've covered our fascinating ancient Roman history and this poison king's fascination with toxins, and we'll move into this final battle as Mithridates is fleeing um, his recently won kingdom. Now, after hours of research, I was devastated to learn that Mithridates was not the person who executed this incredible poison honey uh, attack on the Romans. It was so sad. So he was fleeing. And this event in history, now there are several uh, scientific literature articles referencing Mithridates as being um, the person who, who like organized this poison honey attack, but that is a great oversimplification of what actually happened. It was during his war, but it was not by him. So as he was fleeing, there were many local cultural tribes who hated the Romans. And he left on a path and he went through a path of uh, an area that is referred to as historians occupied by the turret folk. Now, whether these turret folk were instructed by Mithridates, remember he spoke all those languages. Maybe he said, hey guys, a little help here. These guys are on my tail. I gotta get out of here. Can you help me out? Or if they just hated the Romans because they didn't want invaders and they wanted to protect their lands, we will never know because it is not described. But what is known is that as the soldiers were coming through, the turret folk had laid 
delicious looking honeycombs along their path. And these poor desperate soldiers, they're battling for years, their life is in danger, they will likely die during a, uh, in, in their war, and they're starving and malnourished. And who's to question some nice, delicious roadside honey, right? So these soldiers see, hey, roadside honey, that's what's up. They eat all the honey, they become incapacitated, and the turret folk descend upon them and slaughter all of the soldiers in a single day. Now, we don't have a description of how this happened. But what is known is that the very first description of this poisoning occurred in 401 BC, just about 300 years prior. And there was a leader at the time named Xenophon, and he was leading uh, soldiers on an expedition, not a war, just an expedition. They were exploring and doing like soldier exploring, expanding empire stuff. And they came upon the area of Pontus on the Black Sea with tons of rhododendrons. And one day his soldiers became incredibly uh, poisoned, not intentionally, but by accident. And he described the scene in his book, The Anabasis. And so I'm going to read one of the quotes that may be similar to what happened to these Romans in 67 BC when the turret folk came and attacked them. So Xenophon writes, the number of beehives was extraordinary. And all of the soldiers that ate of the honeycombs lost their senses, vomited, and were affected with purging. And none of them was able to stand upright. Such as had eaten only a little were like men greatly intoxicated. And such as had eaten much were like madmen and some like persons on the point of death. They lay upon the ground in consequence in great numbers as if there had been a defeat and there was general dejection. The next day, no one of them was found dead, and they recovered their senses about the same hour they had lost them on the preceding day. So the turret folk must have come down and uh, attacked when they were all uh, confused and disoriented. So what was this poison honey but brayanotoxin? So bees in the area, and this area in the Black Sea is full of dense rhododendron forests, which now makes me want to go to Turkey in the Black Sea and see this area because it must be stunning. And bees that produce honey from the nectar concentrate this grayanotoxin. So where does it come from? Grayanotoxin is only found in the family of plants called Ericaceae, and it is not in every single rhododendron. It is only in some. Rhododendron ponticum, ah, now you know where that's from, and, and uh, rhododendron flavum. It is also in several other uh, genus like Andromeda and in mountain laurel and western azalea and sheep laurel. So this is found in numerous areas in the world, uh, North America, primarily Turkey, Nepal, um, and the nectar will concentrate in uh, the grayanotoxin. Okay, so grayanotoxin is a polyhydroxylated uh, three ring structure that is a, volt, uh, a voltage gated sodium channel opener then hyperpolarizes the channel and keeps it open, which leads to the toxicity. Now, the chemical structure, though clearly grayanotoxin poisoning was recognized as early as 400 BC, it isn't until 1938 that the chemical uh, structure was discovered. And there were even reports, there's a, a case series of eight people in Princeton, New Jersey in 1896 was the first time this was known. So this was being recorded throughout history, we knew, but it took a long time to figure out what the chemical structure was. So how does one become poisoned by grayanotoxin? Well, how much? Honey, right? You got to know that first. So the recorded amount that is going to cause toxicity is anywhere from five grams to 30 grams. What's five grams of honey? I don't measure my honey in grams, but don't worry guys. I uh, converted that to teaspoons for you. So one teaspoon of honey 
is seven grams. So as little as one teaspoon is enough to cause toxicity. You get sick in about 30 minutes to three hours. If you've made it out of three hours, you're okay, all right? Where does the honey come from? Well, it's not gonna be found in our commercial honeys. We're not gonna get poison from our commercial honeys because there's too much dilution from where the honey is being sourced. There's so many different bees, so many different flowers, we don't have to worry. There's also a second theory that grayanotoxin is heat labile, though that is still being uh, investigated at this time. So the processes for preparing commercial honey uh, make it so it's not dangerous. So the biggest honeys you're gonna worry about are locally sourced, um, less processed um, and from areas where there's dense rhododendrons. And this is primarily in Turkey, um, but has also occurred in the United States and other countries. Now, um, you may also ask with granotoxin, uh, what are the symptoms? So the most universal are bradycardia and hypotension. Bradycardia is almost always sinus, but there are a couple case reports of like slow AFib and AV block and fake MI, but it's almost always sinus bradycardia and hypotension plus and minus some vomiting, plus and minus some sweating, fainting, maybe a little bit of delirium and confusion. Maybe that's just from the hypotension. We won't know for sure. Um, and then plus or minus some blurry vision. So those are the chief symptoms. But what's really great is that there have been no fatalities since the 1800s. And that was before really advanced critical care. And since atropine has been used, there are absolutely no deaths and people do quite well. So uh, the bradycardia and hypotension respond very readily to atropine. There were no cases I found that required vasopressors. The severe symptoms, if they occur, only last for about 24 hours, and then people are able to go home from the hospital, and they go back to feeling their baseline self maybe a couple days later. So thank you, everybody. We learned quite a lot here. We learned about the Romans. We learned about the Mithridatic Wars and some interesting stuff about this king. And we learned about this great poisoning event that, oh, if only it was King Mithridates who had done it, but it was associated with his wars. So I thank everybody for their attention, and I hope you enjoyed our first toxic history.